Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership and ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and we're going to tackle the question of how Christians should engage in politics. This is a relevant question at all times, but especially in the most recent history. And so, Aaron, you've had an evolution in your thinking in this regard over the past several years. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so uh, I think this is a critical question for us to dissect and think about. It's certainly not just some theoretical conversation. Uh, We are in the midst of uh, some real challenges, uh, cultural upheaval, some um, hindrances to church ministry. And so we need to think about the relationship of Christians and the church as a whole to politicians and political structures. Now, I was just thinking back when I was a kid, I was born in the early 70s. Um, so I probably started to become conscious of conscious of these kinds of things in the 1980s and certainly the 1990s. Uh, I think we just had this notion, you know, we talked about the separation of church and state. Whatever church you went to, you looked at the doctrinal statement, usually the bottom of the list, after your Christology and your soteriology and so forth, you had you had a statement that would say something like, we believe in the separation of church and state. And it wasn't really defined, but I think the notion that I grew up with was that the church was responsible for spiritual matters and the state is over here doing its own thing, building roads and um, you know policing uh, the um, criminals and arresting criminals and, and, and dealing with sort of civil affairs. And ne'er the twain should meet. It was even somewhat shocking for uh, Christians to run for political office. I don't know if I knew of any. Uh, I, I'm not sure that in the churches I grew up in, there was even much conversation about voting. It was almost a taboo subject. And so there was this really, I would say, what I would call a dualism. There was this spiritual life over here, and there was the civil life over here, and they really had nothing to do with one another. And so Christians largely have been disengaged in political matters, Um, no matter what it might be, just totally disengaged in political matters. Maybe a few wrote letters when they disagreed with some new law. Mm -hmm. Maybe a few pounded a sign in the front lawn during election season, but that was probably even a little bit taboo. Uh, Well, times have changed. And um, I'd I'd really like to talk a little bit about that. Uh, much of what's going on in politics today is not morally neutral. It's uh, ideological. It has a direct effect on our ability to proclaim the gospel, to do ministry. It has a direct effect upon uh, human life and liberty. And so times have changed. In a sense, uh, politicians have moved out of dealing with matters of, uh, you know, basic public justice and infrastructure and these kinds of things, which I would certainly see as being within their sphere of authority. And they have moved into the church's realm Hmm. and they're doing 
a lot of the things the church should be doing. And in other respects, they're hindering uh, the role of the church and have sort of set themselves up, I think, as gods uh, over um, the citizenry. Yeah, that actually, that last point you made there about setting themselves up as gods in a sense, can you just emphasize what you mean by that, by saying, um, you know, they're setting themselves up as gods? Yeah, so the the state has, especially in recent years, projected itself as authoritative over all spheres of life. Uh, they're in the marriage business now. You know, they they set the rules. Uh, they write the playbook as to who can be married and who can't be married. Historically, that was the role of the church. You know, even go back to English history, if you wanted to be married, you'd go to your, your local church, your marriage would be registered in that church's parish registers, not with the government. It was the church's job to officiate and solemnize marriages. Um, the state is doing that, and they're getting it wrong. They essentially have no moral foundation whatsoever. You can marry people of the same gender, different genders, multiple times. This is what happens when a, a state that has no moral basis gets involved in something that historically is the church's role. So they set themselves up as experts in that. You know, we have laws, uh, you know, coming down the pipe that um, uh, define parents' roles in terms of helping kids work through matters of what we call gender identity. So they're sort of hijacking the role of parents in that process. They're obviously heavily involved in public education, which we all sort of grew up thinking was normal, but it's historically actually very strange for the state to claim authority over the education of our children. Um, they claim authority over our you know, biotic health. Uh, we see that during the current lockdowns that they believe that uh, they have absolute authority over public health. Um, and on and on and on, life or death issues, you know, the, the, the issues of euthanasia. It's not just, hey, we're going to build roads. Uh, we're going to set police cruises on the side of the road in case someone speeds. You know, we're going to arrest murderers. The, the state is in your bedroom. Uh, the state is in your church. Uh, the state is in your pocketbook. The state is on your land controlling how you use your land. Man, you even have to have a dog tag. Uh, in some municipalities, a cat tag. I mean, they control everything. And in this respect, they're setting themselves up as God. Fundamentally, a God is one that claims authority over you and expects you to bow down and worship it. And this is the state that we find ourselves in, where the Canadian state has taken upon itself authority over virtually every aspect of our lives. And this should cause grave concern uh, to thinking Christians. It's very good. It's very good. So what maybe you could highlight and explain some of the shifting realities in politics that necessitate we become more engaged? You've already highlighted a few, but maybe spend a bit of time explaining that. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that Christians sometimes fail to think about they think, well, I'm just not, you'll hear Christians say, I'm, not, I'm just not interested in politics. Well, politics is interested in you. 
And uh, this is just a reality. Politicians are interested in you. They, they want you to support their ideologies. They want you to support their initiatives. They want you to, to support their perspectives. And if you sit on the sidelines and don't push back or don't propose more biblically-based ideologies, uh, they will ultimately have their way. And you will be impacted by that. Your family will be impacted by that. Your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren will be impacted by the decisions that politicians are, are making. So we're, we're at a point where neutrality really is not an option. Uh, unless you're okay with the God of the state and the God of the government making all the decisions for you, neutrality isn't an option. They are in your life. They're interested in you. Um, another thing to consider is that if you if you look at the historic role of the church, the church didn't just meet on Sundays to preach and teach. The church engaged with culture. You know, the, the church was involved in education. Uh, the church was involved in you know sort of the the pre hospital system, caring for the sick, the dying, visiting those that um, you know were suffering as a result of a plague or an ailment. The church was involved in caring for the elderly. And over time, what, what I think has happened, and I'll speak just in generalities, there's obviously exceptions to the rule. Christians have been, been about Christian action. They uh, you know, build systems and structures. They soon realize, well, it's, it's kind of getting too big. We can't afford it. So they uh, apply for licensing or the government requires licensing over your school or your medical clinic or whatever it might have been back in the day. They eventually take it over. We then pass it off to them. So now we live at a time in history, unlike, let's say, the New Testament period, where the church, the, the state is involved in public health care, which historically was largely uh, you know, a brainchild of, of the church. The, the state has taken over education. Uh, the state has taken over public welfare. You know, they're, they're the ones that have the certified social workers that are dealing with the addiction issues and the child abuse issues and uh, these kinds of things. Uh, we have secularized uh, – we have st street, street kitchens or soup kitchens that started off as Christian initiatives that have now been turned over to the government – the government has essentially taken our job away as a church, and for some reason, the church seems to be okay with that. So we've like reduced church down to singing and preaching and giving an offering on a Sunday morning. We've we've turned what historically were Christian responsibilities over to the state, and the state is involved in those things. Uh, I I just really have this sense that one of the reasons why the church needs to stand up is because there's a lot of injustice taking place in our culture. Uh, there's a lot of government overreach. There's a lot of government control. There's a lot of, um, you know, government idolatry. Again, presenting themselves to us as as um, gods, and then shockingly, shockingly, and who would have thought of this? Thought this would ever happen a couple of years ago. We now live at a point in time where the government is telling our churches when we can open, when we need to close, how many people we have in our church buildings, how far apart we need to be, all in the name of biotic health, stop the virus, stop the virus. Absolute control over every aspect of life. They're controlling everything. Now, 
many Christians talk about the need for us to respect and honor governing authorities. That's true. But when that was written to the early Christians, and we often talk about Romans 13, it was unthinkable that Caesar would be involved in every single aspect of your life. Solemnizing your marriages, educating your children, determining the curriculum that your children were going to learn, uh, taking absolute and totalitarian control over your biotic health, controlling when and where and how uh, churches could meet. Of course, you know, er- early in the day, churches were persecuted. But if you sort of move forward into the early years of um, Western civilization, it would have been unheard of, unthinkable. But we've just slowly acclimatized to that. And you know what? This has happened fairly quickly uh, in the last 30 or 40 years or so. Um, the government has taken control of of every area of life. So it's it's not the same today as it was back in the 1950s, certainly not, not the same as it was back, you know, 100 years before that or 500 years before that. So again, there's been almost like a, a merging of uh, maybe a better word would be a hijacking of church responsibilities by the state. And still some Christians sit back and think, well, that's their job. Isn't that their job? And they say nothing and they do nothing. And um, we're ultimately suffering as a result of our silence and our lack of political engagement. Yeah, I think that uh, just as a, a younger Christian would say, having grown up in a system that is largely like that, uh, to say that's just the way I've always known it. And to even hear that presented is to hear something radically different than what we're seeing today and kind of goes against Matthew 5 commands of being salt and light um, in our society. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We're all products of our culture and our in our time. And, you know, we study history, but it's almost like uh, just a bookwormy subject. And we don't really it's it's hard for us to enter into the experiences of previous generations. And because we don't have time machines to go back and relive history, uh, there's always going to be a bit of a barrier there. But if we're if we uh, listen to the older folks among us and we read widely, uh, I think more Christians will be shocked at how abnormal the current circumstances are. We think this is normal. This is extremely abnormal in Western civilization to turn, again, almost every area of our lives over to the state. Here's an interesting uh, example that I haven't mentioned at this point, science. So Christians should be pro-science. They should be interested in exploring the world that God has created, looking at the systems and structures, understanding how things work. Solomon, you know, way, way back in in, in the Old Testament days, uh, would have people come and hear him lecture on essentially what we would now call biology, you know, plant life and animal life. It's fascinating to look at creation and see the structures and systems that God has put within it. But the church, it's interesting that the state seems to have now claimed authority over that as well. So we have the state scientists. We have Dr. Williams in our own province, the the state medical expert. Notice that word. We live in the cult of the expert. We've sort of taken uh, knowledge and we've divided it up into all these, uh, you know, different um, 
areas of expertise and you're you're a certified expert in this area and you're a certified expert in this area and you're a certified expert in this area and if you're not a certified expert in this area what do you know so we live in sort of this age of the cult of the expert and then we've taken many of these areas of expertise and now we've given them over to state experts so now if if a non-state expert or just an intelligent thinking person looks at the data or looks at the research of you know, whatever happens to be going on in the world right now, the, the main issue being the virus, and you seek to speak out against it, what do they say? Well, you're spreading disinformation. You're spreading disinformation. You're not the expert. What do you know about this? Well, meanwhile, you might actually be an expert in that area, but they're not listening to you because you're not the state-sanctioned expert. So we're not listening to dissenting voices. We've... Um, turned uh, our society uh, into um, sort of, I, I would say, sort of put people in all these different, um, I was going to say silos or pigeonholes, whatever analogy you, you prefer, these different areas of expertise. And then we're slowly turning those over to the government. So we're, we're expected to trust the state expert. We are thoroughly chastised if we speak out against the state expert. We're told we're spreading misinformation, but at the same time, the state expert refuses to provide us with the scientific information to justify the decisions that they're making. So you see how we we're, we we feel caught. And um, in, in, respects it's, in many respects, it's our own fault because we have allowed the state to take over medicine and science. Uh, in our public schools, they're the experts on what is scientific and what not, what's not. And if you resist the cultural narrative, you're some sort of a, a nutcase. Um, so these are these are all examples uh, of of uh, areas where where the, the church has sort of relinquished relinquished its voice, its authority in different areas of life, and the political establishment has has um, you know, taken the reins and, and just run with it. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that you've covered there. Yeah. And uh, any Christian probably listening in has experienced uh, some of those things, maybe has been overwhelmed by all the different areas uh, that you are even mentioning. What are some specific political issues, maybe priority political issues, that you think we need to be most concerned about today as Christians? Well, I, I've been spending a lot of my time for almost the last year now reopening, uh, advocating for the reopening of churches, not just because I'm looking to get the doors of physical structures open, but because I know that the institutional church, the gathered church, is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. I know that. Uh, when the churches are open – and we can preach to our people and disciple our people and discipline our people and build up our people. We are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. We are a threat to idolatry in the state. And we're constantly reminding our people of who their true king is. And we're praying in the Lord Jesus' name. That's a term of authority. We also want to be able to meet the needs of our people. But beyond that, uh, I, I would say that in many respects, this uh, these initiatives to reopen the church have been somewhat distracting from things that in many respects are equally, if not more important. So a couple things that uh, Christians are, I think, aware of, I hope they're aware of, include the, the ongoing fight against infanticide. 
a baby's the abortion clinics are, are uh, the abortionists are still doing their job in our country. Our babies, our unborn babies, are still being put to death. Uh, this is an issue that we cannot relent on. We need to continue to be a voice against this horror, this injustice, and what's going on right now, focusing on the virus, not dying from the virus and social distancing and protecting ourselves from the virus, the virus, the virus has, has uh, hindered our ability to be able to speak as meaningfully as we once did into that issue. In fact, last year, our church was right in the middle of a major pro-life campaign when the lockdown happened. We were on the streets protesting. We were speaking out. We were holding our signs. And then the pro and then the lockdown happened, I should say. And we um, we had to back off. Uh, a couple other things that are going on. We have Bill C-6 and Bill C-7. Uh, bill C-6 is an absolutely atrocious bill. It's it's horribly written. It's it's ill-defined. Uh, that's the, the conversion therapy bill, for those that may not know. And it's based on this fake premise that people are going around coercing people, uh, even perhaps you know physically coercing people uh, to convert from a preferred gender to their biological gender. Um, it's it's fascinating, by the way. It's fascinating to me. You know, again, having lived in the seventies, eighties, nineties, early two thousands, or even or even at a point in history where we're we're pro science, but we're denying the science of of um, biological objectivity. Uh, biologically, it's not even it's not even up for debate. There are males and there are females. This is scientifically proven. There's not even any debate about it. But we have chosen to replace scientific categories with psychological categories and then create a, a culture and a system where that's normal and that's acceptable. So you can deny the, the biological reality of your own gender and kind of pick whatever gender you want. Apparently, there's a, a longer and longer list of new genders being discovered. Well, um, in a broken world, there's many reasons why that happens. People are sexually abused. Uh, people come from broken families where this isn't being taught. Uh, they perhaps went through educational processes where a particular teacher told them lies. Uh, media exposure, uh, television, different celebrities they might have been exposed to have um, confused them in the area of gender issues. And the church isn't in the business of bending people's arms behind their back or physically threatening them or telling them, you know, you, you have to conform or else to scientific or biblical categories of sexual expression. But we do have people come to us and they're hurting you know, they they have been uh, living contrary to their biology, contrary to biblical patterns and principles of human sexuality, and, and they want to have a conversation with someone. This absurd conversion therapy bill is seeking to muzzle that. So this should concern us. It's a fake premise. 
supposedly trying to protect people from abuse. That's just not even happening. So that's a fake premise. It is going to be used against the church. Why else are they putting it in place? It's going to be used against the church. Let's not be naive. It'll be used against the church. That should concern us. We should be very much involved in uh, – and by the way, it's going to pass. You know, It's in, it's in the third reading. Uh, but we should be very much concerned about that. And when it does pass, there's absolutely no way in, in God's green earth that we should ever capitulate. Mm -hmm. If God brings mm -hmm. us people to minister to, we're going to minister to them with the whole truth of God's word. The second one, which is pretty bad, is Bill C-7 which is the MAID bill. This is the medical assistance in dying bill. And uh, I actually brought along with me a quote from that bill, and I'll just sort of read it here. It says, um, a person with a grievous and irremediable medical condition is someone who has a serious and incurable illness, disease, or disability, who is in an advanced state of irreversible decline in capacity who is experiencing enduring and intolerable suffering that cannot be relieved under conditions acceptable to them and whose natural death has become reasonably foreseeable. Uh, the the MAID bill is essentially a bill that is opening the door for physicians and medical professionals to take people's lives through what we call assisted suicide. This is a travesty. Um, you know, even in reading the language, you can see how you know there's a lot of reliance upon subjective vocabulary. There, very loose. You can interpret it in a lot of ways. Kind of presenting it as, well, this is only for extreme, extreme circumstances. Um, we have a case of a woman out in British Columbia just before the second lockdown. I think she was 90 or 90 something. She chose to be put to death because she just didn't want to go through another lockdown. Now, um, you know, as Christians, by the way, we're not, it's not true that we should put, put people that are dying on, you know, endless and copious amounts of medication to prolong their life beyond what's natural, beyond what is natural. It's not the Christians calling to hook people up to machines and keep them alive and, you know, comatose states for, you know, years and years and years, uh, we we do have to allow natural death to take place. But at the same time, uh, my concern is that this is going to open the door for pretty much anybody that just doesn't want to live. I just don't want to live anymore. You know, I, I'm not dying, but life's terrible. This will get stretched. We know what the trajectory of our culture is. This is opening the door for people to put be put to death. And it's a travesty and Christians need to speak out against that as well. So these are three biggies. We have the uh, abortion issue, or I call it infanticide. That's what it is. Bill C-6, Bill C-7. These are bills that uh, are tragic. They're literally life or death issues. They speak to the heart of biblical justice and the church and Christians need to speak out against these things and engage in the political processes because it is largely the political processes that are going to determine how these things are handled in culture. So do you recommend writing letters, calling officials? Like what's your preferred or suggested best uh, means of engaging? So in political science, we often talk about uh, micropolitics. 
and micropolitics is uh, sort of the the average man's first response to uh, things that are taking place in the political realm that we feel uncomfortable with. So we have boycotting, uh, we have letter writing, uh, we have uh, protesting. Um, you know, the, the, all all of these sort of um, micro level actions that we can take to speak out against uh, what's going on. And they're effective because we live in a represent, representative government. Uh, we're not, it might be helpful for Christians to be reminded that we are not ruled in Canada. We are governed. We're not ruled. We don't have a Caesar. We don't have a king. It's not like the Romans 13 situation. We're not ruled, we're governed. And the people that we put in place, you know, are elected generally every four years or whenever the elections are called. And they represent us. So we meet with them. I met personally with a politician this week and had a meaningful conversation with him about some of my concerns and some of the concerns of the people that I know that are social conservatives. We can do that. Um, beyond that, I would also encourage for thoughtful Christian people to run for office. Uh, we need more of that. We need more people that understand scripture, that understand biblical justice, that have the time and the wherewithal that can you know speak well and write well uh, to run for political office municipally, uh, provincially, and federally. We need more Christians to engage. See, politics is is uh, affects all of life. It has a bearing on law, uh, economics, education, medicine, all these sorts of things. It affects every aspect of life. It's really about the political, uh, the social structures and systems that govern us. So we also need Christians to. Uh, engage in economic issues, uh, in legal issues, in education. I've said to our people, if you're a Christian that loves the Lord, you're thoughtful, you believe you have a solid Christian worldview, rise as high as you possibly can and as quick as you possibly can in the university to become a tenured professor and make a difference. Live out your calling there. Hmm. If you have a background in economics, go as high as you can you know, in the banking world and make a difference there. If you are pursuing a career in law, go for it. Rise as high as you can. Become one of our judges. You know, get involved in uh, jurisprudence and make a difference there. We don't just need pastors uh, preaching sermons to us from their pulpits. We need Christians to engage in every level and sphere of society to bring truth and justice and righteousness to bear on all of these subjects. We can also, as individuals, of course, we can um, endorse good quality candidates. And if they don't do their jobs, we vote them out. Now, we have to be uh, – maybe it would be helpful if I made a distinction between uh, the, the role of the Christian – as an individual in relationship to politics and the role of the church. So the, the, the light is very green for the Christian. Um, you can 
run for politics, run for office. You can speak out. You can be part of a political party. You can advocate, canvas for a political party. You can post whatever you want in your social media to speak out against truth, against uh, uh, lies, and to speak for truth. Wide open. Churches, uh, now this would be churches that choose to take out charitable status. Not all do, but I think most do. Um, you can also, as a church, be involved in political action. So you can speak against issues or bills. This is allowed under the, ch the charity laws. You can speak against issues or bills that impinge on you know, human rights or freedoms, the role of the church or matters of justice. You're allowed to do that. Speak out against Bill C-6 or Bill C-7 or continue to speak out and pick it against um, you know, infanticide. What churches that choose to be charitable can't do is they can't endorse a political party. Right? So that's where you kind of cross the line. If you want charitable status, you can't say, okay, I'm going to have uh, person A from this political party come and uh, you know, speak on a Wednesday night at our church without allowing all the candidates equal speaking time. Or you can't uh, you know, rent space in your church building to uh, a political party and then disallow all the rest. So you have to be careful about not being perceived as partisan when it comes to endorsing specific parties or candidates or using your church space for that. But you can engage in the political processes. Now, it, it, it's, um, it's, it's also true that churches don't have to be charitable. They don't have to have a charitable, they have to be charitable, understood scripturally, but they don't have to have charitable status. You, know, you can have a church that's an unregistered church and then you can kind of do whatever you want. Right. That makes a lot of sense. It's good. So there's a distinction there you've mentioned between Christians and churches and what they can and can't do. How would you say you see politics as a spiritual matter? Maybe some people have said things like, uh, don't be political, just focus on the gospel yeah. or those kind of sayings that you might hear as uh, rebuttals to this kind of conversation. We, we do hear that. Um, I was talking to a Christian a while ago and they said, I'm just, I'm just not used to being in a church that speaks about these issues. I, and and the, the implication was, it's not really right of you to do that. Um, well, uh, you know, if we go back to a, a basic passage in scripture, which most of us know, like Ephesians chapter six, it says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and so forth. And we have the spiritual armor there that we're supposed to put on to, to defend ourselves and to do battle with the forces of darkness. We live in a spiritually charged world. I hope Christians understand this. We live in a spiritually charged world. The devil hates our guts. He wants to destroy the church. He wants to hinder the mission of the church. He wants to stand in the way. He's involved in politics. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. He's involved in politics. He's involved in public education. He's very interested in public health. He's involved in jurisprudence. Uh, he's involved in economic decisions. The devil wants to destroy people. And in a physical world, we have all these physical considerations, making sure people are properly housed and have opportunity to work and are properly fed and are cared for when they're sick. We have all these physical considerations. So we set up all these, 
you know, um, tangible earthly structures to deal with those. We start schools and hospitals and soup kitchens and you know all this kind of all this kind of stuff. The devil's involved in all of that. Uh, he wants to manipulate the system. He wants to um, crush people. He wants babies to be slaughtered in the womb. He wants injustices to be overlooked. He wants us to trust the experts in every area of life. He wants us to trust our children to the secular state so that we can be, quote unquote, educated or mm -hmm. propagandized by them. Um, it, if you're a thoughtful person, you'll see this. You'll see. So let me just give you some examples of how we have uh, demonic activity in different areas of life. So uh, – why don't we talk about medicine? So in the area of medicine, we have physicians and many, many Christians are in, in medical science. We're thankful for that. But we have physicians that are trained in you know heart surgery and brain surgery and epidemiology and all these wonderful things that we benefit from. But then we have people that are trained um, you know, in the same institutions, in the same areas of medical science who abort our children. Abort our children and in the name of science think that's acceptable. It's, it's a moral travesty. Uh, the same experts in our province and country that are putting all these laws in place to you know, protect us from imminent death, which you know, is, is mostly really uh, – it, it's mostly the, the, the people that are already in the, in the latter years of their lives that are the most susceptible to this in the first place. But all these people that are supposedly out for the common good, and I, I think they've convinced themselves they're out for the common good, are the same people they don't speak out against abortion. This has even inf infiltrated the church. We have all these Christians wagging their fingers at churches like us that are trying to stay open. You're not loving your neighbor. Yeah, you know this is this is you're not you're not respecting authority. These are the same churches that haven't talked about abortion in years. They haven't they haven't stood up for the for the rights of the unborn. Mm -hmm. they, they haven't spoken out against Bill C-6 or B uh, Bill uh, C-7, the, the travesty of this. So we have demonic spiritual activity clearly in our medical system, in our educational system. You know, we have a lot of great well-meaning teachers teaching in public education systems. But now they're being passed curriculum that is, first of all, it's absurd. It's non – most of it's – a lot of it is nonsense – but there's also a spiritual dimension to it. Telling our little children from the from the time they're, you know, knee high to a grasshopper about matters of you know gay anal sex, hijacking the role of the parent, informing the kids, the children's outlook on human sexuality, with these aberrant sort of experimental, radical, never before taught theories of human sexuality, this grand experiment that's going to fail. Um, this is spirituality in education and still many Christians feel comfortable just turning their children over Monday to Friday to people who have a, a radical destructive agenda and allowing them to shape, um, the lives of their kids. When I was young, I went to a public school and then later to a Catholic school in high school. But, um, I, you know, we, we were Christian and so, the biggest challenges that we had as Christian kids, our parents would warn us about this, right? 
don't date the non-Christian girls. We don't want to see you in the smoking section. And, you know, be careful about macroevolutionary theory in science class. We got to keep our antennas up against these things. But we prayed the Lord's Prayer in the morning. Uh, my grade five teacher read the Bible to us in class. The teachers, even though they weren't, for the most part, Christians, approached life from a basic theistic perspective. They believed in right and wrong. There was the boys' bathroom. There was the girls' bathroom. There was the boys' change room, the girls' change room. There was an acknowledgement of biological gender differences. Well, now we send our kids to school, and again, they're being taught about you know the radical transgender agenda. They're being permitted to pick their names. I was talking to a teacher recently who said, I got a student that wants to act out in class contrary to their, their gender. They want, to, they want to change their name. They want to be known as, I'm not sure if it's a boy or a girl, but if it's a boy, they want to be known as a girl in class or vice versa. But we're not going to tell the parents. So the parents you know, are sending their kids into the educational system thinking, oh, my boy is known as a boy at school, unbeknownst to them. You know, when he steps out of the house or steps into a Zoom class, he's acting according to the other gender. And the parent doesn't even know about this mm. because the, right, the expert educator knows better, right? This is spirituality in education, shaping and twisting and warping. And it's like you're, and now we've created this um, culture where we're supposed to tolerate all this stuff, unless what you say is intolerable. Uh, we're not supposed to bully anybody unless uh, you are speaking for basic categories of Christian morality or biblical truth. Well, then we're going to bully you into silence or censor you. Um, you know, we're encouraging kids to speak their mind. But if you speak out and say, actually, I believe in traditional categories of, you know, human marriage, human sexuality, human origins, you're cast aside and on and on and on. Uh, they've, they've, they've taken over our university. I have a daughter who was in the social work program at the University of Windsor. Her professor gets up front and says, I'm, I'm a, I just want to let you know I'm a Marxist. And then instead of really teaching them to address the psychological and social needs that people have, the emphasis in the class is on promoting this radical leftist agenda, the cultural Marxism, the radical LGBTQ agenda, Finally, after a couple of years, my daughter's like, "This, I, I got to get out of here. I'm bailing out. I'm not being taught how to do a proper social work. This is just an opportunity for radicals to push their godless agendas. And, um, you know, if you speak out against abortion, I remember one of her teachers gave her the opportunity to do a project on a social justice issue. So she did it on abortion. Nope, doesn't qualify. That's not a social justice issue. Really? It's one of the greatest ones of our day. So uh, we live in a spiritually charged world. And any Christian that sits back and thinks that, you know, we're being ruled by benevolent rulers, governed by benevolent rulers, or taught by, you know, just benevolent educators, or being uh, uh, you know, prescribed to or healed or had surgery being done on us by just benevolent, spiritually neutral people really has their whole – their head very um, deep in a hole in the ground. Mm -hmm. And we just need to wake up to the 
to the realities that we are in a spiritual warfare. We are doing battle on all fronts. And politics is the system within which these things are fought. It's like the battlefield within which a lot of these things are being fought. So we're, I'm just calling the church and Christians, step onto the battlefield where the battles are being fought and uh, run for office, protest, speak out, write letters, be politically engaged. If necessary, start new political parties. Do whatever is necessary. These are, these are life and death situations for people, and they really do have a profound effect upon you know, people's lives. And so I, I would say Christian political action properly understood as a ministry, and it's an opportunity to be a redemptive agent you know, on behalf of Christ to bring you know, lasting change um, you know, into the world around us. Obviously, at the end of the day, we know this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Uh, there is an eternal kingdom that we're looking for, but we're not just going to sit in our pews and do nothing and wait for Jesus to come back. In the meanwhile, we're, we're called to be salt and light, be the hands and feet of Jesus. And part of that is engaging with the structures and systems. We call it politics. The structures and systems of our culture and our time to try to make a, a lasting change. Great. Well, that's been a very helpful conversation. I think a lot of people will be blessed by that as they consider it. Any concluding thoughts? Are you, you kind of set it all there? Yeah. Well, I uh, again, I, I think I, I want to be um, I want to be informative, but I'm also a pastor, and I I would say that my I really would just want to encourage people not just to think about this stuff, but to act on it. And not just, you know, listen to the podcast, say, well, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of nasty things taking place in our world, but to act on it. Uh, be relentless in um, your use of social media to stand for truth and righteousness. Sign the petitions, attend the protests, you know, do all that micropoliticking. Call your mayor, your counselor, your MPP, your MP. Call them and have a conversation. Express their concerns. Ask for a sit down with them. And then, um, you know, and hold them accountable. Hold them, tell them, I'm going to hold you accountable uh, on election day. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, running for office. So I, I, would, I would say just to summarize it's it's not enough for us just to be talking about these things it's important for us to be engaged and we are engaged by talking about them of course these battle battles are largely won with words not sticks and stones but words um but we we i just really have this sense that if the church doesn't engage more overtly and deliberately in political action that uh, we're shooting ourselves in the foot, we're going to hinder the advancement of the gospel in our country, and we're going to regret it. And um, the decisions that we make in this regard are going to have an impact upon people for generations to come. It's hard to, it's hard to turn back the clock. You know, once the law has been passed, the bill has been passed, the decisions have been made, it's hard to turn back the clock. So we need to be active and engaged in the moment. Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining us for Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. We hope you've enjoyed today's show. And if you have, please rate it and share it on social media to help get the word out. We'll see you next time.